All right. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking together at the 30th chapter of Isaiah. Uh, this happened to be a scripture I was looking at this week and thought it would be uh, just a helpful one for me anyway. Um, in this passage, uh, I want to take you back. We're like 650 B.C.-ish, right? <laughs> if you can think back that far, 2,600 years ago. Uh, Isaiah is on the scene and he is working with the kings of Judah and they are in a fragile place. Assyria, the mighty empire, has been on the move. They have conquered most of the ancient world and Judah is kind of a holdout on its own very precariously and they're not sure what's going to happen next. And so they are trying to figure out um, how do they handle this moment in time when as a people, as a community, as a nation, they find themselves in a place of weakness and uh, in fragility. And so I think we can kind of relate to that. I know some of you in your own lives can relate to that even in this moment. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Isaiah tries to help us navigate the weak, uh, fearful moments of our lives. And so we're going to pick up in Isaiah 30, starting with the 15th verse, as Isaiah shares his heart and the word of the Lord with the people of Judah. This is what he says. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust, is your strength but you would have none of it you said no we will flee on horses therefore you will flee you said we'll ride off on swift horses therefore your pursuers will be swift a thousand will flee at the threat of one and at the threat of five you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop like a banner on a hill. Yet, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice, and so blessed are all who wait for him. People of Zion, who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious God will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. And although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity, the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you say, This is the way. Walk in it. Then you'll desecrate your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You'll throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, away with you. He'll also send you rain for the seed you sow in the ground and the food that comes from the land will be rich and plentiful. In that day, your cattle will graze in the broad meadows and the oxen and the donkeys that work the soil will eat fodder and mash spread out with a fork and shovel 
In the day of great slaughter, when the towers fall, streams of water will flow on every high mountain and every lofty hill. The moon will shine like the sun, and the sunlight will be seven times brighter, like the light of seven full days, when the Lord binds up the bruises of his people and heals the wounds he inflicted. This is the word of God for you and me, God's people. Thanks be to God. Can you pray with me and for me? Lord Jesus, uh, you are why we are here. And we are united in you because you are good and you love and we seek to follow you. So come, Holy Spirit, work through my heart, my mind, our words in ways that will encourage, that will restore, that will heal, that will bless in these moments of uncertainty for us and for many in their lives and families too. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So as I mentioned, Judah is, they're in a moment of uncertainty and fearfulness. They're at a moment when uh, they're not sure which way to go and which road to take. And in this moment, Isaiah acknowledges that they both make some bad choices. But even in their bad choices, he still gives them opportunities to make the right choice and take the right path that was needed for them in this moment. And I I know in our own lives, as we go through life, right, um, all of us are going to encounter moments when we recognize we're in the weak place. We recognize in our family situation that things are uncertain and we're not quite sure how to handle it. We're not quite sure how to fix it. We're not quite sure what to do next, right? You've ever been in those places? I know I have. Fortunately, not super often, but they still come. And in those moments, uh, we can use some guidance. And so the Lord, I think, offers Isaiah and through Isaiah and Judah to us some guidance in those moments where we find ourselves in the weak places. Maybe we're in the weak place because of our health, like some of the folks we've lifted up earlier. Um, You get the bad news, you have cancer, or or you need surgery or whatever is before you, and, and in that moment you wonder, how do I fix it? What do I do next? For others of us, it can be the death of a loved one that's unexpected. And uh, we leaned on them, and we loved them, and we cared for this friend or this family member, and they're not there. And so there's a hole, and what do we do? It could be the loss of a job. It could be some other situation having a challenge of paying your house note or rent i don't know what it is but there are those moments where we are in a weak place what do we do next well first off uh, judah does three things that i hope you won't do right they do three things that isaiah tells us aren't the path to take they're not the way to go the first one we saw right out in the early part of the verses where when the moment of weakness grips our life or our family, in that moment, part of us in fear wants to run and get as far away from the situation as possible. And that's one potential reaction in the weak moments. We see that in the story where God offers them his salvation and in response says, no, you can't save us. 
Our only salvation is to get on our horses and get out of town. That's the only way we'll be saved. But as Isaiah talks about this, we begin to notice that their fears have been blown way out of proportion to what they really should be. Right? Did you notice that? A thousand people will flee at the threat of how many? One. And you're all going to, you know, depart and leave and go at the threat of how many? Five. So our fears can often blow things out of proportion. And in the moment where we are most needed in this situation of weakness, our greatest temptation can be instead to cut and run. And I hope that uh, you'll agree with me that allowing your fear to lead you to flee in your situation of brokenness is not the best choice. It's not the choice that God wants us to make. We have an opportunity to grow and learn in the weak places, to, to find God's presence in the weak places, and we will not discover it if we cut and run in fear. The second thing that, uh, that they try to do that doesn't really work is they seek to fix it on their own with their own, face to say, inadequate human solution. The best human solution that they could come up with back then is we need an ally. If we just have a good ally, then we'll be okay with Assyria. And so they look to the south, they look to the help of Pharaoh, they look to the help of Egypt, and they got in an alliance with Pharaoh, and they sent Pharaoh a whole bunch of money, and they said, Pharaoh, come and save us if we get in trouble. Well, Isaiah reminds them that the problem with this is, one, they didn't ask the Lord whether that was the best course of action or not. They left God out of the whole equation when they did that. But two, um, Isaiah and the Lord both knew that Egypt wasn't going to have the ability to save God's people. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't a real solution. It was an inadequate solution. And so uh, the Lord uh, encourages Judah and is, encourages Judah in this instance to say, you know, watch out. You're trying to fix it. And sometimes there are situations in our lives that, that fixing isn't the solution. This reminds me of other things we sometimes do in a similar fashion. I think of the children of Israel. Remember when they were slaves in Egypt? And Moses came and got him. And God showed up in these big, massive plagues and demonstrated his power for the world to see against the Egyptian people and against Pharaoh. They come out of Egypt, he, and God has them part the sea. They walk through the midst of the sea on dry ground. He saves his people. They get out into the wilderness. God has done all this. He has showed his faithfulness. He's showed his ability to save. And then when they get out of the wilderness, what do they do? They complain, right? We don't have enough water. We don't have enough food. We're tired of this manna. Can't you give us some meat? Uh, you know, we're, we're not strong enough to beat, you know, defeat the people in the promised land. They start to complain, and in fact, what do they long for? They long to go back to security and safety of slavery because it's easy, it's familiar, and it's comfortable rather than to move forward and to see what God might do next in a promised land. 
And so in this lesson, I think, too, sometimes in our lives, when we hit these weak places, our tendency is to run back to what, what we thought worked in the past. But oftentimes what worked in the past wasn't, uh, wasn't the peaceful thing, wasn't, wasn't the prosperous thing, was the thing that instead enslaved them. And so uh, in this instance, we see the Lord challenge them to not trust in human solutions when human solutions may not work. And then the third thing that the people of Israel said the people of Israel tried to do is they tried to fix it in an underhanded way. They tried to fix it in an underhanded way that caused them more pain and more harm. It says, because you've rejected this message in verse 12, you've relied on oppression of others, you've depended on deceit, this sin will become for you a high wall cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. Isaiah acknowledges that sometimes we try to fix it ourselves. We think that the ends justify the means, and so we begin using inappropriate tactics, sinful tactics. And so he says, you know, don't oppress others, don't harm others, don't lie to others, but instead be truthful. And so he brings their sin face to face, so that instead of taking these bad paths, they might take God's good path. So what's God's good path? Well, that's the main thing, so let's get to that. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And so uh, the word of the Lord through Isaiah brings us back to the place of repentance, first of all, that there needs to be a moment when we acknowledge that our own solutions are not working, and instead we need to come to the one who is our solution. We need to let the sin go, realize that the ends don't justify the means, and instead come back to the one who made us. In repentance, he says, in rest is your salvation. Now the word rest here is, is rest of your body, that sometimes we need some downtime in order to recognize what God is doing. And especially, I think, this next week, I hope you will take some downtime to listen for what God is doing. To rest your body, he says, in quietness and trust. And brothers and sisters, we live in a day and age where quietness is often something uh, we seek to avoid at all costs, especially the younger generation, right? We've got to have the, the little ear, 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 what is it, earbuds in our ears all the time. Listening to really good music, I'm sure, or looking at our phone and finding out what the next email is or what the next social media post is or what's going on uh, on Twitter or, or you know, or one of the other ones. So oftentimes we keep busy because we're afraid of the silence. We're afraid of the quiet. We're afraid of what our thoughts might be if we strip everything away. 
the Lord reminds us that our salvation and strength is in the restful places, in the quiet places, because it's in those places where we begin to place our trust in the one who is the one to receive our trust, the Lord of all lords, the Holy One of Israel. The Lord of all lords, the Holy One of Israel. God is in our midst. The living God is here. And if we ground our life in the living God, we will have our answer. There is no other answer. And so in repentance and rest and quietness and trust, we find our saving strength. As he goes on and says and reminds us that because in this moment, God wants to be gracious to us. He wants to rise up in verse 18 and show us compassion. He is a God of justice who will work things out fairly, but he longs to bless those who wait for him. And this is kind of the thing that wraps it all up. Our salvation is learning to wait on the Lord to trust that he will be the one to move. He will move as he wills. He will accomplish what he desires, and we can trust him with our present that's uncertain and with our future that's uncertain. Um, as Cecil mentioned, last night at 6.30, we had a, an evening worship service of prayer and praise in here. We didn't have a whole lot of people come, but I know we had some folks watch online. And one of the things I would ask you to do this week and in the weeks ahead, make it a habit of your lives, really. Uh, but at least this week, you can go on Facebook and Instagram. You can watch uh, that, that service yesterday evening because it was a service of rest. It was a service of quietness. It was a service of repentance. It was a service of trust. It was a service of waiting for him and realizing that our solution is in the one who made us so much more than lesser things. And so I hope you'll take a time to do that. I hope you'll take time to develop a habit of waiting on God uh, when you're not quite sure where else to go or what else to do. He then moves on. He again reminds us how gracious God will be when we cry for help. As soon as we cry for help, God hears and God will answer. The principle is, is that God is there in our midst. He gives us eyes to see his teaching and his guidance. He gives us ears to hear the voice we need to hear in our discernment. And so he shares with us that whether, verse 21, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Yeah, I hear, hear the little one saying that up there too. <laughs> we could learn a lot just listening to our, our, our kids. This is the way, walk in it. Brothers and sisters, you all know this week it's a season of discernment for our church. And oftentimes when you have votes, it's about who's the winner and who's the loser. Who's the winner and who's the loser. And in every vote, there are folks that win and get what they want. There are folks that lose and don't get what they want. But I, if I could, I would try to find a way to reframe the whole thing as this is a season of discernment 
And like Cecil shares, that's why it's important that all of us be a part of it because it takes the whole body to discern the future. But in that discernment, um, we don't know perhaps which way to go. I don't know whether, do we go right? Do we go left? What's interesting to me is Isaiah doesn't say that that's really the important piece. The important piece is to keep our ears open to the voice that's saying, this is the way, walk in it. And I think that's the voice we need to listen to no matter what the decision will be next weekend. No matter what the decision is from there, we all have to listen for his voice and walk in the path that he gives us. And we hope it'll be a path that will keep us together in the journey as much as possible. And so when we come to these moments and we hear his voice and we begin to follow his path, then there is other one more key that we need um, to lay down. And that is we need to lay down our idols. Verse 22, he says, Then you will desecrate your idols overlaid with silver, your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloth. Say to them, Away with you. This is a key piece. Brothers and sisters, in the Old Testament, the number one sin was idolatry. When something rules our heart, rules our love, rules our lives, that leads us away from the living God, leads us away from our reliance on God, our trust in God, our following of God, that is an idol. In today's society, we say, well, we don't have things covered with silver and gold a whole lot. You know, unless you're like Mr. T and you wear a ton of jewelry around your neck. And I can say that knowing that even Mr. T is a follower of Jesus. But... Uh, but in today's world, I think a lot of it is our possessions, right? If we can have a good job, if we can be successful, if we can have a nice house over our head and buy some of the cars we want or some of the toys, maybe the boats or trucks that we like, you know, four-wheelers, whatever, if we can have that kind of stuff, we begin to trust in our stuff. We begin to lean on our stuff and say, if the bad times come, at least I still have my stuff. But Isaiah reminds us that if we lean on the wrong thing, it will harm us and hurt us and destroy us. Instead, in our lives, we are learning continually to listen to walk in God's way, and part of that walk is to let the idols go, to let them drop to the side, to throw them away and say, away with you. And so for every one of us to look into our hearts this week and say, Lord, what is keeping me from loving you more and uh, staying on your path more closely? The good news is, is if we follow this path that the Lord gives through Isaiah, God's promise is that he will see us through the weak time and blessing can be ahead of us. The last set of verses is the Lord is going to send the rain. What's sown in the ground is going to be a prosperous crop, so prosperous that the cattle and donkeys who are, uh, who are digging up and plowing the dirt, they're going to have so much of the uh, fodder and mash to eat, you're going to have to spread it around with forks and shovels. And he says, even in the hard times of slaughter, 
even in this bread of adversity that we have, even in the water of affliction, even in the midst of this weak place, we will find streams of water begin to flow down, streams of blessing from the mountain highs and lofty hills. In this day, we will see a brighter light shine than ever before. The moon will shine like the sun. The sun will shine like seven suns, giving us the light we need that will heal God's people and will bind up our bruises and wounds. And this is the hope today. In this moment, many of us are not sure, do we go to the right, do we go to the left? The Lord knows, and the Lord will move, the Lord will guide us. And as he guides your life and my life, the good news is, is he does offer us a hope of a future blessing a future opportunity of, uh, of God's healing grace that he will see us through the weak times and guide us to the other side. Now, I want to close and wrap up this morning. I, I want to share kind of one example of this that I've just kind of noticed in my life, and that's a fellow named Toby Mack. Anybody know who Toby Mack is? A couple of you, the singer. Uh, Toby Mack has been making music for his career as a Christian artist. He started as a, a part of DC Talk when I was a teenager back in the 80s and, uh, and gave us some great hits like Kingdom Bound. I could probably still rap some of it for you this morning, but I'm not going to do that. But, uh, ho, ho, heaven! Ho, ho, heaven! Ho, ho, Kingdom Bound! Um, he's been doing a solo career though brothers and sisters the last 20 years and uh, my heart goes out to him and his family because uh, they've been in a weak place about the last four years uh, almost four years ago uh, one of their oldest sons Truett who I believe they adopted uh, was following in his dad's footsteps he was going to be a musician himself he was beginning to you know go to shows and and have an audience and all that kind of thing but uh he unexpectedly died of a is it fentanyl a fentanyl overdose just out of the blue dropped dead and was gone and uh, toby mack has written an album since then and in that album what i appreciate more than anything else is we see his love for his son and we see a man who is journeying through the weak place and the broken place with tremendous courage. And so I want to share with you just a little bit from his most recent song that's released on the radio called Faithfully, where he talks about his journey in the weak place. And this is what he says, I've had a hard time finding the blue in the skies above me. And if I'm keeping it real, I've been half faking the happy they see. I may look like the same man, but I'm half the man I was. It's been a hard year, and it almost took me down. In my darkest hour, you met me, so quietly, so gently. You said you'd never leave, and you stood by your word, so quietly, so gently. In all my pain, you met me, you said you'd never leave. You stood 
by your word. Because when my world broke into pieces, you were there faithfully. When I cried out to you, Jesus, you made a way for me. I may never be the same man, but I am a man who still believes. When I cried out to you, Jesus, you were there faithfully. When I cried out to you, Jesus, you were there faithfully. And what I see in Toby's story is a fellow who's living out the journey Isaiah shared. And that's a journey that we're on as a church at the moment. But more than that, that's a journey some of you are on in your own families and in your own life, and it's not easy. But our prayers are with you. So may you take the right path, the path of repentance and rest and quietness and trust, the path of learning how to wait on the Lord and trusting his voice to guide us when we least know where to go. This is the way. Walk in it. Because if we do, he will bless us with better days in the future. And may he do that for all of us as a community of Jesus together. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Will you pray with me?